This Mishnah begins by discussing the focus of this Perek, namely what one can do in the situation of a fire on Shabbos, and then it goes slightly sidetracked until the end of the Mishnah. Now in general, the halacha is that just like one is not allowed to move something which is mukta itself, something which is set aside from using on Shabbos, so too one is not even allowed to move something which is not mukta on behalf of something which is mukta. Despite that, says the Mishnah, one is allowed to place a bowl upside down on top of a lamp so that the fire doesn't catch onto a beam and start a fire. So if somebody is worried that a lamp will cause a fire, he's allowed to tilt a bowl over it, of course, as long as he does not extinguish it. That would certainly be prohibited. But if he doesn't extinguish it, then he is allowed to do so. Now the question is, we saw earlier on in the Masechta that a lamp is mukta. So it's all very nice that a bowl is not mukta, but why are you allowed to move a bowl on behalf of the mukta lamp? So the Gemara explains that we're discussing a case where you're anyway allowed to move the bowl for something else. Let's say you needed the space where the bowl was. For example, if the bowl was placed on a chair, and you wanted to sit on the chair, so then you're allowed to move the bowl, and once you're allowed to move the bowl away from the chair, so you are allowed to then put it on top of the lamp, even though the lamp is mukta. Okay, continues the Mishnah, Valtershal Cotton, one is also allowed to place a bowl upside down on top of a child's excrement. Now the Gemara explains that you have to read this slightly differently, and the reason for that is because the truth is, if a child goes to the toilet, let's say, in the middle of a room, and now his excrement is lying there, that is known as a graf shalra'i, which refers to something which is disgusting, and the halacha is that if a graf shalra'i is in a place where lots of people are, then one is allowed to take it and move it away. It is not considered mukta. So the Mishnah wouldn't be telling us that you can place a bowl over this, because we're even allowed to move it itself. Rather, explains the Gemara, the discussion is of excrement of animals like birds, which are not usually in a place where lots of people are, and therefore it is not considered a graf shalra'i which you can move, so the only solution would be to place a bowl on top of it, and when the Mishnah says val shal cotton, it means you can place a bowl over it because of children, meaning because children play in lots of different areas, including areas where there will be excrement from different animals, you can place a bowl on top of the excrement to avoid your children getting dirty from this excrement. Alright, and thirdly, the Al-Akrov, one can also place a bowl upside down on top of a scorpion, so that it does not sting anybody. The sting of a scorpion can sometimes kill, and therefore even though by placing a bowl over it you are trapping it, which should really be something forbidden mid eraser, over here it is permitted, because of the rule that Pekuach Nefesh Deich Shabbos, a danger to life overrides the prohibitions of Shabbos. Now the Mishnah brings a story... Omar Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda said, A story came before Rabbi Yehuda Zakai in a place called Arov, where somebody placed a bowl over a scorpion. And although the Mishnah said this is permitted, the Omar Rabbi Yehuda Zakai said, I'm concerned for him that he is high of a carbon chatos. Meaning Rabbi Yehuda Zakai held that really he was not allowed to do this. And in fact, he did violate the Torah prohibition of trapping an animal on Shabbos. Now the truth is, the Mishnah never brings a story to contradict a law which it just said. 
So it must be that there was a slight difference in this story to the law which the Mishnah pr- stated previously. And many Mephoshim explain that the law of the Mishnah is when it is a dangerous scorpion. Or if you can see that the scorpion is angry or it's trying to sting somebody. So then, of course, you're allowed to place the bowl over it. The story of Rehman Zakai is in a case where the scorpion was not a dangerous one and therefore it was forbidden so he would be high of a korban chatos. Mishnah Ches, we learned a couple of Mishnahs ago about the rabbinic prohibition of Amir Lenochri to tell a non-Jew to do malacha for you on Shabbos. That is forbidden, and as well as that, the Rabbonon decreed that even if one does not tell a non-Jew to do something for him, but the non-Jew does something for the Jew on Shabbos, which is prohibited for the Jew to do, the Jew is not allowed to benefit from that malacha. The reason being that if he benefits from which, that which the non-Jew did, he might come in the future to ask him to do it. So it's all really part of the same decree of Amir al-Nakhri, of telling a non-Jew to do a malacha for you. And the Mishnah explains this law using three different examples. And some versions of the Mishnah read, A non-Jew who lit a candle on Shabbos, A Jew may use that light, since the non-Jew did it for himself. However, the Imbish will Israel, if the non-Jew only did it for the Jew, or even if he did it for both of them, if he did it for himself and for the Jew, then also it's forbidden for the Jew to benefit from that light, because if he benefits from that light, he might come in the future to ask the non-Jew to light the candle for him or to do another malacha for him. Second example, If the non-Jew filled up water from a well in order to give water to his animal, and we're talking about a well which was placed in a Rosh Hashanah in a public domain, and the well was large enough to be considered a Rosh Hashanah It was at least 4x4 Tfachim with a height of at least 10 Tfachim, and therefore it's forbidden to draw water from there on Shabbos, since you would be taking water from Rosh Hashanah into a Rosh Hashanah So if a non-Jew did that for his own animal, and then he left a bit of water in the bucket. So Mashka Achav Yisrael, a Jew can then use that water to feed his, to give his animals to drink. Unless the Imbishvil Yisrael, if he did it for the Jew, or if let's say he filled up extra water so that the Jew will have water to feed his animals, then also it is forbidden for the Jew to do so. Alright, and third example, also Goy Kevesh Leirid Boy. If a non Jew makes a ramp to go down from a ship onto dry land, of course it's forbidden to make that ramp on Shabbos. It's building, Yod Achav Yisrael. Nevertheless, a Jew can go down on that if the non Jew only did it for himself. But for Imbishvil Yisrael, if the non-Jew did it for the Jew as well, for his sake, then also it is forbidden for the Jew to go down on there on Shabbos, since he cannot benefit from a malacha which a non-Jew did on his behalf. Again, the reason being because he might come to ask the non-Jew to do a malacha for him. Now the halacha is that not only is it forbidden to benefit from this malacha on Shabbos itself, but even once Shabbos has gone out, one needs to wait for the amount of time which it takes to do that malacha before he can benefit from the malacha. Because if he benefits from it as soon as Shabbos goes out, that means that he is benefiting from the fact that it was done on Shabbos. Because he gets to do it sooner. Rather, he has to wait for the amount of time which it would take to do on Motzei Shabbos, and only then may he benefit from it once that has been done. Now, the Mishnah brings a story, Maisa Rebbe Gamliel Vaz Kenim. There was a story of the Rebbe Gamliel and other elders, other Tamidich HaChomim, Shoyu Boim Bisfina. They were coming on a journey on a ship, and a non-Jew made a ramp to go down onto dry land on Shabbos. The Yod Barem Gamliel Vazakainim. And Rebbe Gamliel and the Zakainim did go down on that ramp because they could tell that the non Jew only made it for himself and they were therefore permitted to benefit from that malacha on Shabbos. Perik Zain Mishnah Aleph. This Perik really follows on very nicely from the previous Mishnah because the subject and focus of this Perik is the halachas of Muktzah. 
And we were really introduced to the halachs of Muktzah back in Paragimel. The second half of Paragimel focused on different types of Muktzah and different halachas associated with those laws. And this parak delves even deeper into those halachas of Muktzah. Now fundamentally, almost all utensils fit into one of two groups. Either the utensil is a klish malachter which means that the use and purpose of this utensil is to do something which is permitted on Shabbos. For example, a plate, a chair, a table, a bowl. Every one of these utensils is considered to be a klish malachter The second main category is a klish malachter which means a utensil whose main function and purpose is to do something which is prohibited on Shabbos. For example, a plow or a weaving machine. Now, as expected, the halachas for these two groups of kalim are different. And when it comes to a klish heter, one is allowed to move it for pretty much anything. And that's split into three different uses. The first use is l'tzorech gufay, which means for the need of him, his body, meaning he uses the item in the way that it's regularly used. So, for example, he uses a bowl to eat from. That is l'tzorech gufay. And of course, that would be permitted. The second way to use a klish malachter on Shabbos is l'tzorech makoymoy, if he needs its space, meaning if the bowl is sitting, let's say, on a chair, and you want to use the chair, so you are allowed to move the bowl to somewhere else in order that you'll be able to use the space where the bowl was. And the third permitted use of a klish malachter would be for the sake of the item itself. If, let's say, it will be ruined in the place where it is right now, then you would be able to move it, and any of those three reasons are sufficient to be able to move a klish malachter on Shabbos. Now, two out of three of these reasons to be allowed to move a klish heter also apply to a klish iser, and those are the first two, the If you're moving it for your own need, so just like you can use a bowl to eat from, you can also use a klish iser, but of course in a permitted way. So you would use it in a way which it's not designated for in general, because it's designated for something prohibited. But if you use it for something which is permitted, then you would be able to do so. And as well as that, you're allowed to move it if you need it space, if it's lying somewhere where you want that place, if let's say you want to sit there, then you are allowed to move it in order that you'll be able to sit there. Now the third reason does not apply to a klishim lachtala iser, so if you want to move the utensil for the sake of the utensil itself so that it doesn't get ruined, then you are not allowed to do it, and it's really quite logical, because the ves- the utensil itself is designated for a prohibited purpose. So when it comes to using it for something permitted, you're using it for your own sake, then you can move it. But if you're moving it for the sake of the utensil, well, that utensil is designated for something prohibited, and therefore you cannot move it for its own sake. Be it as it may, the first mission of the Perik discusses a klishim lachtala heter, and the second mission will discuss a klishim lachtala iser. So the mission begins, kalakelim, all utensils, and this is referring specifically to a klishim lachtala heter. And because of that, nitholim b'shabbos, they can be taken, they can be moved on Shabbos, as we explained for any of those three reasons, any of those three purposes. And as well as that, and their doors can also be moved with them. And listen to how we read the next phrase, even if the doors have broken off of the utensils themselves, you are still allowed to move those doors by Shabbos on Shabbos. Meaning, even if before Shabbos, a door of one of these utensils, for example, if you have a box, and the box has a sort of door, it's a small box, and the door came off before Shabbos. Just like you're allowed to move the box on Shabbos, you are also allowed to u- move the door, which is no longer attached to the box. 
The reason being that even though it's not really so useful anymore, it doesn't really have a function anymore, and in general, something which can't really be used for anything is Mukta on Shabbos. Nevertheless, in this case, it is not considered Mukta, because since it was part of the box, and the box does still have a use, and the person is planning on putting back the door onto the box, so the door is still considered really part of the box. Whatever status the box has, the door also has, and therefore it can be moved on Shabbos. Now the Mishnah compares this to the doors of a house. The halacha is that if a door of a building comes off, then that door is muktza. Now why is that different to the door of a box? Surely you're also planning on returning the door onto the house. So the Mishnah explains, Because doors of small utensils are not the same as doors of a building of a house. Because a door of a house is not considered prepared at all. Meaning, once a door of a house comes off, its original use is totally gone. Originally, the door was never used to be able to move it, to be able to carry it. You would just open it and close it. Now that it's come off the house, you want to move it in a totally different way. Nothing to do with the house, and so that is forbidden. On the other hand, when it comes to a small door of, let's say, a box, even when you move the box, you are moving the door with it. You would carry the entire box with the door. So now you're just moving the door by itself, but you're moving it in exactly the same way, and therefore it is still permitted on Shabbos. Mishnah Base, as we mentioned earlier, one is allowed to use a Klishim Lachte Le'isser, he can move it for the sake of himself, for, for his own use, L'Tzorech Gufay, as long as that use is of course a permitted use on Shabbos, and he can also move it L'Tzorech Mekoymai if he needs that place. So the Mishnah cites lots of examples of L'Tzorech Gufay, which is permitted. Noitel Adam Kurnus, one is allowed to take, one is allowed to move and use a hammer in order to crack open nuts with the hammer. Even though the hammer is usually used for prohibited actions, over here he's using it to open nuts, and that is permitted because that is using a Second example, the Kurdaim, he can move and use an axe to cut a fig cake. This fig cake was very large and thick. It was much easier to cut it with an axe, and that is permitted. Megera, one can use a saw, Legrobos Agvina, to cut up thick cheese. Magrefa, a shovel can be moved and used, Legrobos Agregres, to pick up and take out dried figs from a container. If, for example, you have a large barrel of lots of dried figs, you can use this utensil to take them out. as Harachas, a tool used for winnowing, which is when you separate out the various parts of grain by throwing it up in the air, and the wind would blow away the lighter parts of the grain, and you'd be left with only the heavier parts falling down. So the tool used to do that was a mazleg, a pitchfork used in the threshing floor to turn over grain and pick it up, losses of la cotton. You can use these two tools to put on the tool's food in order to give to a child. As just an example, if let's say you want to give someone who's a bit far away, you want to give them some food, so you could put it on this long tool and pass him the food that way. Sakush, this is a thin piece of wood around which people would spin thread. There's a karkar. This is also a thin wooden piece which was used to separate threads in the weaving process. So you could use those to by to stick it into a fruit, sort of like a toothpick. That's a permitted use, the Gufay. Machat shal yod, a needle of a hand. This is a regular needle used for sewing. Little bursts are kites to take out of his skin with that needle, a thorn or some sort of splinter. Although it's very likely that he will cause his skin to bleed, 
Since he is not intending and trying to make himself bleed, it's permitted in this situation since he is in pain. So although in general it's machlekes whether you're allowed to do something which has a consequence of a forbidden thing, but you're not intending for that consequence. But over here everybody agrees that it is permitted because of the pain which the person feels without doing so. Vishal sakaim and a needle of people who make sacks, this is a thicker needle. Although it is a klishim nachtel iser, like all of these things, lifterch sadeles, you can use it to open a door with. If, for example, somebody lost his key, he could pick the lock with this needle. And again, all of these cases are examples of a permitted use, let's say, using a klishim nachtel iser.